Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome to Better Words. Michelle, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Caitlin. How are you? I'm good. I'm sitting in my bed, as I always am when we record, but just a fun insight for everyone. Um, I wash my sheets, so there's no sheets on the bed right now. I need to put them back on. I always finish. hate that when you like, you're like, I'm going to go to bed, and then you're like, oh, damn it, I washed my sheets today. Like, I always forget. I always I forget. And then I'm just like, resent having to do it. But it always feels so much better when you've got clean sheets on. No, it absolutely does. But the act, the act of putting a fitted sheet like back on and putting your doona back in the doona cover, God, it's hell. Horrible. I hate it. <laughs> horrible. Yeah, absolutely horrible. No, I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, I was thinking the other day about, you know, what I'm going to write in our monthly wrap up for Substack, which, you know, we do that now. We do some recommendations and stuff on Substack. We do. There's a link. It'll be out at the end of this week. Yes. April. Yes. Exciting. Um, and I am so stuck on what to pick, not for once because I haven't watched much, but because I have watched so much stuff, narrowing it down <laughs> to two. I don't know what it has been. Maybe it's because there's been Easter, multiple public holidays. I've had some sick days. So I've just had a lot of time. You've but oh my lot. God, I, I have gone through, I've got a list of about like 12 things that I've watched. Can I make a suggestion? Do you want one of them? Put something. No, put something. Well, maybe. I don't know. Probably not, though. Um, <laughs> put something in the something else column. That's already on my list, Caitlin. I even oh. thought, and I can mean, who knows if I'll do this, guys, but I even thought, what if I could combine several of those recommendations into a recommendation to watch your favourite comfort watching TV? Because that's what a lot of this has been. So will I? Won't As a something I? something else thing. Yeah. Like I also need to dedicate at least it. one spot because I, then I was like, is my Camel Race podcast going to be the something else? No, that's going to be a listening to recommendation. And I found myself listening to an, a podcast the other day that has not come out for several years and they're finally making new ones again. I'm so excited. I started listening to it last night and I actually found myself being like, no, save it for May so that it can be done in May because I am nothing if not a stickler for the rules. So I was like, no. Yeah, exactly. I want to consume this in May. May. I understand. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that's just a fun little insight. And at the same time, have also managed to read several books. I don't know where I'm finding the time, but I am. And I've done some workouts. So, you know, at the moment, like this will change in an instant and I'll suddenly feel like I'm not doing anything. But right now I feel like the juggle is going well. The plates are spinning at the moment. So yeah, it's all going well. Next week I speak I mean, to I you. This, I'll probably have had like three I've breakdowns. A few plates. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I've dropped a few plates. So I love this view. And also if this isn't an insight for everyone into how much we overthink giving our recommendations and our book clubs to you in these podcast episodes and on our sub stack, then I hope you'll appreciate the effort. 
yeah everyone we take it very we seriously do think about it probably too much yeah it's just it's just really yeah, look, funny we think of- about all too much which leads me perfectly into our book club for today because it's this is also a topic we think about too much and talk about a lot and it comes up all the time on the podcast so this will not be a surprise to anyone our book club pick is friendaholic by elizabeth day now <laughs> before i read the blurb i just want a quick quick question michelle D- did you relate do you think you're a friendaholic <laughs> Oh, yeah. Look, let's save this for after because it's going to be a whole thing. Okay. But yes, in short, yes, we also should say that this is a Collins book, not why we picked it. Yes. So Friendaholic by Elizabeth Day. As a child, Elizabeth wanted to make everyone like her. Lacking friends at school, she grew up believing that quantity equaled quality. Having lots of friends meant you were loved, popular and safe. She was determined to become a good friend capital G, capital F. And in many ways, she succeeded. But in adulthood, she slowly realized that it was often to the detriment of her own boundaries and mental health. Then when a global pandemic hit in 2020, she was one of of many who were forced to reassess what friendship really meant to them. And with the crisis came a dawning realization. Her truest friends were not always the ones she had been spending the most time with. Why was this? Could she rebalance it? Was there such a thing as too many friends? What was it like to have none at all? And was she really the friend she thought she was? (laughs) Great job. So the book is all about friendship and different kinds of friendship and different stages of, you know, all of that stuff. And so back to my first quick question. Michelle, are you a friendaholic? Because when I first started reading this book, I was like, Michelle, is this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm curious though. Do you like what? How do you think you see yourself then? In the way so Elizabeth um, Day in this book talks a lot about how she is a friendaholic and is uh, really willing and able to become friends with people quite quickly, or is you know that like people pleaser aspect of it, but is able to become friends with people quite quickly um, and become quite good friends with people fairly quickly and I don't really think that I can do that but Mm, yeah that's definitely that That definitely describes me I 100% especially like a lot of friends who are all disconnected from each other as well like the way that Elizabeth's talking about some of that particularly at the start of the book just in her general attitudes towards friendship and her social life and things like that I think I was I was a bit like, I bet Michelle is relating to this. Not <laughs> that it's a bad thing. No, it's just interesting, but, isn't yeah. it? Because, yeah, I think, and I think that comes through at things like my wedding where everyone was sort of disconnected or knew each other from different, we knew people from different parts of our lives. Um, but it just, I don't know, it was just, it was really interesting to sort of step outside my friendships and think about them through the context of this book and through hearing about Elizabeth's relationships with her friends, I don't know how I would view you. Like, cause I don't think that you like, cause she talks a lot in there about her best friend, Emma. And it's not like I'd be like, Oh, well you're like that because you have, you know, Emma has really defined boundaries with things. And again, not that it, not in a bad way at all, but like she can really clearly be like, I'm not the friend for you or like 
I can't give you what you're looking for or whatever. I absolutely have fallen into situations like Elizabeth where my over eagerness to please has led someone to believe that maybe I can offer more as a friend or that I want more from this friendship than they do. But yeah, I definitely think that I, and again, like Elizabeth, I'm probably learning to get a bit better at this, but I definitely seek comfort and love and solidarity in friendships. Um, And I think a lot of that does stem back to maybe childhood friendships, especially like primary school and stuff. Um, And the way that I saw myself within friendship groups in high school, I know and I've known for a long time that has a huge impact on me. The way that maybe some people's past romantic relationships have on their future ones, I've never had that problem romantically, but I've had a lot of complex friendships. So I think I really like this. this. That was an interesting bit that is uh, one of the last chapters of the book is about best friends. There was a couple of stats in there where I think, was it the, so please, I may not be correct, but it was something like if someone has a multiple best friends over like primary school to high school, you know, or like, you know, believes that they have best friends at like different sort of key ages. It was like nine, 12, 15 kind of thing. They are less socially anxious and everything. And and, and in a lot of ways, I found myself relating to that. I've had. Yeah. I did um, too. Yeah. A few, like I had, you know, I had my year seven best friend and my year 12 best friend and, you know, things like that, that I was like, oh, I guess I can kind of see that. Like I've always been and I was thinking about it, as everyone will think about how you are a friend and your friends while reading this book, that I have always been good, I think, at being really friendly and like nice to people and getting along with people and where not I struggle, but like it's um, different is not necessarily always uh, evolving those like light friendships, shall we say, into deeper friendships once you know you're out of school you're not in the same uni class anymore you're not in the same workout class anymore you're not working together anymore like some of those things whereas um, I probably go I haven't always too been deep. as successful as that whereas you are yeah yeah I probably that. go too deep before I have had a chance as she talks about in the book to really test whether that is actually something I have the capacity for or want in that relationship in that friendship I sort of jump right in there um which is fine. I think that there's nothing wrong with either way that we approach these things. It's only it only becomes an issue if it if it becomes an issue for you. But I think it's so interesting to sit back and and look at it. Yeah, totally. And there was actually two bits that in this last chapter on best friends, I was like, I have I've like dog-eared my little pages, and I'm gonna like point them out again because there was so this. <laughs> According to a 2020 poll of 2,000 Americans, which isn't that many, granted, it takes four years of knowing someone before they can be considered a best friend and that friendship itself needs to be tested. 32% said they needed to have been supported through a romantic breakup before someone could be called their best friend. And I just read that and immediately thought of you and I was like... That is not what happened with us. Yeah. Four years into knowing each other, we'd been best friends and doing this podcast for three and a half years. Yeah. Like- <laughs> I think too, like, it, there is almost, 
it's so funny. She talks a lot in the book about how we often have to use the language of romantic relationships to talk about friendships, which is totally true. And it's because we don't study friendships in the same way that we do romantic relationships. But I do feel like sometimes there is that spark, that instant connection. And there is another person who I'm super close to, Alicia, who listens to this um, and who... I know that you and her are very similar in terms of like our views and stuff. We all got on really well um, when I introduced you at the wedding and stuff. But yeah, that is someone who our friendship has not been that long, but I would definitely say is like that almost soulmate level of like, we just get each other. How embarrassing if we're not friends yeah. in a few years. We better still be friends in a few years. Um, uh-huh. no, but like, that's kind <laughs> but of like, what honestly, I mean. like, that's what really that quote is that no one would say that about romantic relationships because mm. four years, people could be like married with two children in four years and no one would bat an eye. It, I just, it's like that whole thing of it. I love that she brings in Anne Shirley as well because obviously just kindred, oh, it's that kindred spirit thing of like when you're like, wow, we're just really like you get me and actually interesting that she said like people that the study found breakups for example because I think that something that um Alicia and I connected on was our love for our respective countries that we're not in (laughs) um because Mm. you know she loves Australia and so that that shared we had a shared experience even though we hadn't gone through it together so I wonder if it's less about like that shared but I don't know. I just feel like I could immediately feel like I could be vulnerable and open up. I mean, I do feel like I can I just dump on a lot of people. Um, but, you know, with you or her, like, I feel like I, I have that level of trust in our relationship where I can tell you anything and you won't judge me. That to me is that best friend, that intimacy of, which which honestly I expect in my romantic relationship as well, that just like trusting completely that that person is not just there for you but like will listen to you won't make fun of you like yeah I don't know the other thing that I thought was funny is that there was a is that the 29th this is so weird these things that I'm reading out but the 2019 snapchat friendship report <laughs> which surveyed over 10,000 people across the world found that the average age for meeting a best friend was 21 Michelle, how old were you when we met? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I was turning 21. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why it made me think of it. Yeah, yeah. What she did talk about is the idea that friendships don't have to last a lifetime. And I think that a lot of the stuff where she was talking about the feeling of this revelation of if you take on a romantic partner, for example, then two friendships might drop off. Or, you know, I guess if you take on a new friend, other ones have to go or don't have to go, but will naturally drop off. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like same exact revelations that she was having of like, oh yeah, I always feel guilty. And like, I have to keep them all up and I, I have to do this. So I think I had a lot of um, moments reading this where I just felt really comforted by the fact that that's actually not the case. I found for me one of the most profound chapters was on ghosting and like friendship breakups. Oh yeah. Because I think that was a really interesting chapter. A lot of what she discusses, like we just never talk about this stuff. And when we do often see friendships depicted in books and TV and stuff, um, 
obviously it's like friendships that are going well, I guess. Like we don't, I just really like the complexity of all the friendships that she discusses in this and all the facets of friendship she looks at. Yeah, I just think it's a very nuanced look at everything, but with a lovely like, I really enjoyed reading about Elizabeth's, like in that memoir style of Elizabeth's own friendships and using that as a jumping off point to talk about broader issues. Yeah, and the kinds of different friendships that people have across their life. Um, The other chapter, I think the chapter on ghosting was really um, interesting. The other one I really liked um, is, oh, what's the name of the chapter? It's um, the one about like uh, being friends with members of the opposite sex yes um, and it's like the so it's when like, harry met gender Sally matter problem. and the when harry met harry conundrum yeah the other thing that she talks about towards the end of the book especially is this idea that friendships ending mean that you're bad at friendships or you're you know this whole idea of good bad dichotomy that we have like i think unpacking that and being like actually it's natural for things to end sometimes they might not end in the best way for each party but that's a natural thing it doesn't make either one of you bad at friendships or necessarily a bad person like obviously some actions you take may make you a bad person or may make you the wrong party I guess but for the most part you know if friendships fade out it's not anyone's fault it's just that you're moving in I really like the sort of phrasing she used around like different planetary circles and stuff of you just might yeah. be orbiting in a different way or yeah. Yeah. A lot of those discussions I really liked because that whole thought process of like, Oh, like, you know, just because you're not friends forever doesn't mean the friendship necessarily ended in a bad way or like you would never speak to them again or something. This is not a analogy from this book, but it's something I've heard before, which I really liked. And I kept thinking about while I was reading this book which is that throughout your life, different friends and people you know, it's like like if your life is a theatre, believe it or not, like I don't remember where I heard this, but it's just so funny because I love theatre, obviously. So if your life is a theatre, like a physical auditorium, and people you know are all in there, but they, you know, move seats or whatever at different points so it's like you know sometimes people are in the front row Mm, and sometimes maybe they then move back and they're sitting Mm. more towards the back or in the upper balconies and they're like a bit further away but it doesn't mean that they're gone and like they could come back and be closer to the front at different points and I really like that because it's like we every I think everyone would have so many people that they know you know acquaintances liked friends or whatever that yeah if you don't live um if you don't live in the same place anymore or don't work somewhere anymore or you know don't do some kind of hobby or activity as often anymore or whatever it doesn't mean that those people are like out of your auditorium forever they're probably just like moving a bit to the back but like it wouldn't be horrible to like walk past them in the street Yeah, and I really liked the way she talked about different friendships being like obviously there's some that like ours where we're really, really intimate in each other's lives. We know what's going on. You are one of the first people that I will text about things. You know, we talk probably daily, especially when we're doing this podcast. 
uh, every couple of days when we're maybe on a bit of a break, but we are. Yeah, if we're super busy, maybe not yeah. every day, but yeah. But like, we, but we're also the, the, you know, we'll also text random stuff with no context because we have that level yeah. of intimacy. Um, and there's a couple of friends I have like that where you can just send them random stuff or you know that they, they would be the first people that you talk to. And then there's also those friends that, you enjoy spending time with, but maybe you don't live in the same place. And so when you do catch up, it's really, and I have some wonderful friends like that, you know, some in Sydney who I visit and it's absolutely amazing. I love spending time with them. I feel so energized when I see them and I just love our times together and it means so much. And it's like no time has passed when we do catch up, but in between we don't really talk because we have really busy lives and, you know, we're not, you know, but they're absolutely still among some people who I would say, oh, that's a close friend of mine. Like I know them really well. We had this shared history together. And then there are the people, yeah, who you might just see around, have a bit of a chat to, um, and you sort of keep up with them on social media, but, you know, you might not go out of your way to see them or, you know, you might just have a chat to them if you run into them in the street. You know, and I think she talks in that in the book about that performative aspect of some friendships ask you to be someone you're not or you turn yourself into someone that you're not and so they expect that from you. We've definitely yeah, talked more say, about course, friendships than note. the book. <laughs> I know we've not really talked. It's hard to talk about this book though without talking about your own, like relating to it and your. It own just makes you think your about friendships. your own stuff all the time. Yeah, but also in saying that as well, um, as we've said, obviously a lot of it is contextualized, I suppose, by Elizabeth's friendships. So there is a great note at the start where she talks about like that this book is all from her perspective and her experience. Um, so there's different, you know, cultural elements and things like that, that people have different experiences with community and friendships. Um, but also, uh, throughout the book, there's great little, um, like French, I think they're called friendship diaries where it will just be like a page, two pages of someone's experience of friendship. That's like outside of it was like my favorite one it was at the end. I was like a 10 year old and he was that like, was so cute. Like, it was so cute and he was like I probably have like five best friends but people get a bit jealous when you say that and I was just like oh so sweet but even as she talks about in the best friend chapter the notion of this is my best friend feels really weird even though we would not find it weird for me to be like well this is my husband um so he is my you know, like the one person I've chosen to be with. Like, it's just really funny the way that, and I yeah, love the discussion about funny. friendship contracts as well. That was really cool. That was very yeah. funny. It was so good. Yeah, it is funny, isn't it, with best friend? Because like, I used to um, really say like, particularly in high school, I think I'd be like, here are like all completely equal, my X number of best friends anywhere from three to 12, depending on because the year. Because you felt like <laughs> you didn't want to, like, it, there is this hierarchy. single anyone out. I know, which is, it, which is sort of even weird. Even though I knew, and like, even I never, I, I personally, I personally never wanted to single anyone out, even though definitely sometimes there was someone singled out for me that I was closer to, or also for the other like my other friends it's like I know who your best friend is but I'm like <laughs> still call me your best friend like we can all have 20 million best friends um although I did also go to high school total peak of like Taylor Swift's girl squad so that was just <laughs> that was 
it was very much a girl squad time <laughs> it was a really great read I really enjoyed it that is of course because I resonated with so much of it yeah. I think sometimes with memoirs and like things that discuss social things like this your enjoyment will be partly predicated on how much you can resonate with it um or how much of yeah the experience you see um but I think there's enough different experiences of friendship in here that you probably will find yourself mirrored in it I, I really really enjoyed it I feel quite comforted by it and I'm trying to be a recovering yeah. friendaholic <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I never said it was a bad thing. I just think no, 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 I, no, no. But you. that's what she says as well. But when she talks about when she says, "What do I bring to the friendship table?" and she says, "Well, I'm loyal, which is good, but it also means that I won't bring things up, and it leads to resent." And I was like, "Yeah, exactly me. Like, I won't bring things up yeah. in friendships that maybe I would bring up if it was a romantic partner because I, I'm worried about that ending, and I think partly that is also because." there is this idea that friends can just drop out of your life or they have in the past for me. And there's just no reason why there's not like formal breakups, like romantic partnerships. And I just, it's just such an interesting yeah. friendship endlessly fascinates me. And this is why we often bring talk about it in our show. I know. I mean, I found it so interesting because yeah, there's the friendship breakup and then sometimes friends fade into the background but like like I said it doesn't mean that there's anything bad that's happened you're just not as close anymore and it doesn't mean that like you couldn't reach out for like a catch-up you know or something like so yeah I don't know I mean yes it's an endlessly fascinating topic uh it's a very interesting book and yeah it's broken up into all these different sections so yeah a good read to sort of dip in and out of I think I certainly did because we were like reading other things for interviews and everything um and on that note we are going to talk about friendship a teeny tiny bit more in, in this interview. Um, so, yeah, we hope you enjoy this. Our guest today is a writer, theatre maker and facilitator based in Brisbane, Meanjin. She has had four plays published by Playlab, including Lysa and the Freeborn Dames. She's also directed Michelle's Law hit comedy, Single Asian Female. Her debut novel, Beautiful Mess, won the Text Prize in 2016, and it was followed by It's Been a Pleasure, Noni Blake, in 2020. But today we are discussing a brand new romance novel, West Side Honey. Welcome to Better Words, Claire Christian. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to chat to you and about this book. I loved both of your other books, but Westside Honey is just so fun and I feel like there's so, so much, much to chat about. And look, about. Can, I, can I be honest <laughs> with you, Claire, as well? I was a little bit apprehensive about this because I'm not the biggest fan. I like a rom-com. I like a contemporary novel. Mm -hmm. I get bored by sex scenes because I'm ace and I just am like, mm, don't really care. But I was like texting Caitlin as I was reading this and after this, and I was like, this is, I, I definitely, we want to talk about the sex scenes because I appreciate that other people love them. And yeah. it's taken me so long to be like, why don't I get that? And then when I realized I was ace, I was like, ah, makes sense. Um, so usually I'm like apprehensive. <laughs> like, and that's why. I haven't read Noni Blake because Caitlin was like, I don't know whether you'd love it. Like, I'm obviously going to go back and read it now, but it was... I, like I was like, mm, I don't know whether it's for me, but 
This was so great. And also like just, and as we will get, we will get into talking about this, but so many like relationshipy things. Cause I love like the romance side of stuff, but I was just like, Ooh, I love these conversations and these like the boundaries chat, like that's sexy. <laughs> she was texting me like, Oh, Archer sounds so hot. Literally. I was just like, Oh my God, the boundaries. Oh, the boundaries chat. Oh, so sexy. So sexy. Yeah, emotionally yeah. intelligent. It, emotionally intelligent like yeah that's what I'm here for that's yeah I mean we can I hot. can like dot 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 the sex scenes but <laughs> oh. yeah that was so good so we're gonna we're gonna talk about all of that with you today um so and good. yeah it's, but yeah and we've completely <laughs> skipped ahead to start off with yes. in case anyone hasn't read West Side Honey you probably should just tell us all a bit about West Side Honey Oh, so it started, the seed for Westside Honey started a few years ago in my best friend's kitchen. Um, and she's a single mum to two brilliant babies. And it was, uh, and she lives interstate, so we see each other in person, not as often as I would like. And I helped her in some kind of parental moment, backed her up with a moment with her then four-year-old, just kind of, you know, said something like, what did your mum say? Like, what did your mum just say? And she looked at me and she said, God, I wish you were here all the time. Everything would just be so much, everything is just so much easier when you're here. And I knew what she meant by that because everything in my life is also easier when I am with her. Um, And it made me go, oh, we don't talk about the profoundness of these relationships, these kind of soulmate level platonic love stories. Um, So that was the kind of first seed. I also was like, we don't talk enough about how incredible single parents are. Um, And so that kind of became this whirling, what is the container that will fit in this best friend story, this single mum finding themselves story. Um, So then that that's kind of where it all birthed and Cleo Novak appeared in my brain and her best mate Jude and it's this um, story of Cleo, her new custody arrangement and her having time to kind of work out what the hell she wants and needs from her life um, and that's the story that unravels in West Side Honey. Yeah it's really like a bit of a self-discovery like it's she's really finding herself again classic classic like finding herself but she is <laughs> yeah she is no yeah she is and for anyone who has read Noni Blake and is maybe wondering it's like oh how can you capture that kind of finding yourself thing again mm-hmm. uh you can and you did it very very well in a Thank very you. different story um and I just I love Cleo yeah. and, and their Jude friendship oh and my their mummune living yeah. together with their kids. I was like, oh, this is bloody genius. And it made me, it reminded me that when I was younger, my sister and I used to watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch yes. and how Hilda and Zelda lived together as adults. I was like, we could do that. And then I was like, why do people live with their parental family as adults, yes. even if they've got children? Yeah. Well, that's the thing we don't it's talk like about. Fun different ways of living different ways of loving different ways of being in the world these like we they're not conversations that we have so once i'd kind of realized this what they call is their mummune or their modern day commune where they live together it then opened the door to talk about you know 
all different kinds of relationships. Well, that's actually a really good point because, you know, some of the quotes on the book and our feelings as well are that this is such an inclusive novel, inclusive of all different types of relationships. Mm. Um, You know, Cleo hooks up with someone who's non-binary, so there's, like, that discussion in there, but just, like... Mm -hmm included normally and you know there's the way that they live is just normal her and Jude raising their kids together dealing with being single mums and um, of course there is also a little bit of discussion around like non-monogamous relationships and stuff I guess like the question I wanted to ask was like how do you feel about subverting some of those like traditional romance book tropes because it really it feels like such a fresh and contemporary and really inclusive and like totally green flag romance book to read <laughs> oh that's the best that's and the best be compliment ever like a one true love yeah kind of thing as well i think because i love a ro- i love a rom-com i love a romance but that was always my issue of they didn't reflect the people in my life they didn't reflect me um they didn't reflect my own queerness um, even my own body type. And so I think I live to write the work that I love and, like, you know, write a romance, write a, a people falling in love because I find that so interesting and fascinating. But also I really enjoy messing with the tropes <laughs> or del- I really delight in in that, subverting them in my own way. Um and writing the world how I see it or is reflected in my very, you know, queer, inclusive um, bubble. Um, Because I hope what that does is just maybe includes people who are not normally included in in these spaces as well. Absolutely. Oh, my God. It was just so refreshing to read. And I really surprised myself by... I guess just like, you know, as you said, being a fan of like rom-coms and romances and everything and like the classic thing of like you're really rooting for them to get together in the end and everything. And I, as I was reading West Side Honey, I was like, I don't necessarily want Cleo to be with one person at the end. I was like, oh, we'll just see how this goes. And I was kind of happy with just that. Yeah, and I that... love that. And I think one thing that I don't love about rom-coms often is that the women in them aren't written as three-dimensional, complicated, messy people. Or, or actually yeah. any of the characters in them. Often, you know, we we feel they, <laughs> they feel stereotypical roles and sometimes that's all we want and that's okay. Um, but I go, I want my characters to be complicated and messy and for readers to love some things that they do and back them but also go oh no <laughs> like noni cleo don't do that it's a terrible <laughs> thing to do i want i want you to feel awkward when she feels awkward i want you to feel excited when she succeeds in something that maybe she doesn't believe that she can like i want i want them to feel like a friend of mine who's a librarian um describes them as authentic wish fulfillment and I think that is the most beautiful way to describe what I actually am trying to do in terms of like I want them to feel real I want you to feel close enough to go like I know people like Cleo or I could picture living with my best mate and raising our kids together I feel like these men could be real but also I want things to work out 
as well. <laughs> like, I don't want it yeah. to feel so far out of reach that you go that would that could never happen to me. Like, I could never meet a Viking who is the love, <laughs> the brilliant love in in Noni Blake. But I want you to be like, maybe I can go to Scotland. Maybe I could meet a tattoo artist and fall in love. Like, I, that's how I want people to feel when they read also, my like, work. I think, and I think the thing yeah. I love about Cleo is well, like, I maybe I could just love myself a little bit more and maybe I could expect more in my relationships. Yeah. Like, that is such a huge theme of this book. And I just, having seen friends mm. go through that with, like, shitty partners leaving them and then them going through this amazing, like, process of, self-growth and like accepting more and wanting more from people in their lives and their relationships I'm just like yeah like that is such a brilliant message and but it's such a good message for all of us of like when she's at the therapist and the therapist is like you know like maybe you're like to try parenting yourself the way you're parenting your kids and you're like oh yeah maybe I should do that even that like even if there's nothing else you relate to in the book there's there's so many moments where you're like oh yeah Yeah. uh (laughs) uh-huh yes And these conversations about wanting more, we're very good at talking about selflessness and be selfless and especially for mothers or parents, like martyr yourself to to minimise your needs and meet the needs of everyone else, be the, the pinnacle in your family. But I think that messaging is so patriarchal and broken where I want to flip that on its head and be like, it is okay for you to want more you can still be a compassionate brilliant person in the world you can be a socially just brilliant human you can be a brilliant parent who wants more from your life or more from your relationships um it's something i really wanted to explore in this novel it's that kind of people can't meet your needs if they don't know what they are was something that really underpinned this book but the part of that that we don't talk about, I don't think, is you've got to first know what the hell you need. Yeah, which sometimes <laughs> is the hardest, right? Or what yeah, the hell we've, you uh, want. we've all got to figure yeah. out some stuff. Yeah. yeah, you've got to know first before you can then tell anyone what you want. And I don't think we talk about the the work required or the healing required or the therapy in Cleo's case um, mm. required in working out, okay, well, what do I want? And the bravery required in trying the thing or asking for the mm. thing or, or doing what you want, yeah, and asking for what you yeah. need. Yeah, because a lot of mm. what Cleo does feels like a massive, like you can tell it's a big leap for her and she's trying to push out of her comfort zone and you're just cheering her on the mm. whole way, like, yes, Cleo, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. I loved that you said the, the characters are like authentic wish fulfillment it's like they're real but also they're not and that there is that thing of you know as we sort of said like rom-coms with their classic cliche characters or horrible relationship Mm. red flag things that you're like and you want to be with that person forever okay cool (laughs) and as we sort of said at the start you know it's like all these green flags in all these people that Cleo is dating throughout the book it's so refreshing and hot as we said like the yeah. boundaries chat it's hot <laughs> yeah I agree and you, like writing all of those like really you know as you said like emotionally intelligent men <laughs> and all of those like all the discussions around green flags and red flags and everything like that even when 
Cleo and Jude and Farida, who works with Cleo, are discussing her dating life. Please just talk to us a bit more about creating all of those characters and those conversations. I think they a lot of them came up because I was I was navigating dating and I was navigating being on apps for the first time. Um, I was married and then was separated and then thrown into the hellfire that is online dating for the first time. Um, yep. and so they were conversations yep. that I was having. Very brave of you. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, <laughs> this is a whole other world. So like sneak peek for you two and everyone who's listening, but a lot of the like dating profiles or a lot of the dates were inspired by actual love that real life profiles or like dates that I had been on or my friends had been on that I was like that is too good not to yeah, include the fish profile this yeah, the story. fish profile pictures the yeah profiles. so all yeah. that like all that stuff that I was learning um was like okay I need to include this but I wanted to include that I think that kind of all of that big learning that I was happening having all got embodied by by Farida in who's a young queer like educator essentially for Cleo kind of going like nah babe welcome she is. and yeah. we go. she's like a little dating fairy <laughs> yeah. godmother she's and the coolest. just like take looking after her yeah. and yeah confident yeah, being like, come on, mama, I'm going to welcome you into the world. We all wish we could be um, a little bit more like so that. So that's kind of <laughs> exactly, and who I wished I had too. Um, so I think that's where they came from. But it was like it, a lot of it is the conversations we don't have. So, yeah, talking about, I think we're very good now about talking about red flags, but there was nowhere was anyone talking about, well, what do you, what is a green flag? What are you looking for? What is a, what is a moment or... or equality in someone that you go oh actually that's that makes me feel great or that's a great quality um I'd never thought about any of that and so I think a lot of the conversations that I had had with friends ended up going directly (laughs) into the book they have a conversation around the kind of what are your like what are your actual needs in terms of what are your non-negotiables what are your green flags like what are your preferences they were conversations that I was having as I was working it out and a friend of mine used the house analogy of like your non-negotiables are your front door and your walls yeah. like <laughs> they can't be racist yeah. they can't be homophobic they can't you know that's just your non-negotiables that's the walls of your house um yeah but the green flags are like <laughs> don't really like yeah. house it doesn't have walls <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. but the green flags are like oh you know the decoration yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. things that you that are surprising and beautiful that make your house better and more and, and lovely so yeah they were conversations that I was having with my friends as I was going I have no idea what I'm doing yeah oh, amazing I love that and that's probably also why it feels so authentic when you read it and you can it, it all just comes to yeah. life on the page yeah it's my it's my like <laughs> flailing and chaos and going what is happening? <laughs> Look, I'm sure you're not alone there. I'm sure many, many people will read this and be like, ah, yes, sounds yeah. familiar. <laughs> I've read that dating profile and also swiped yeah. left. <laughs> and so then once Cleo's, you know, 
uh, well, actually, uh, Frida, once she's <laughs> gone through all these dating yes. profiles and approved for Cleo, um, and she's going on these dates, uh, then, you know, she's having a great time and yeah. it's like hooking up with a few people and starting to casually date a lot of people. Um, and again, as we said at the start, <laughs> very quickly, uh, some great sex scenes in Thank there, you. Claire. Thank and you. it is definitely the kind of thing that uh, people really come to expect from a romance novel now, <laughs> I think. Like, yeah. you know, they're all getting spicier. Um, all the spicier ones are just Honestly, like, I wish, I wish we could just, <laughs> I wish we could just replace going. a lot of those, like, TikTok recommendations with this and be like, here, read about a nice, like, wholesome relationship. Yeah, this you is know, better. That's, you know, better for you. <laughs> <laughs> Not naming I names. That. Yeah. Yeah, let's Not things like... <laughs> I, I'm picking um, up what you're putting down. I'm I think I think you need to replace all of them. <laughs> yeah, but um, when it comes to writing these sex scenes, because mm. uh, there are multiple in West yeah. Side Honey, how does it? How did you write those? Like we, you know, Michelle and I were discussing it, and we're like, oh, yeah, often they're repetitive, mm. or again, it's like more of like a one-on-one relationship. So there's mm. like. I think I joked to a friend that I was like, yeah, so in an author's book, so I was like, yeah, they, like, make out once and then someone gets oral and then they realise they're in love and they have sex and it's just, like, that <laughs> weird build-up. And... <laughs> and then done. done. <laughs> and then done. That's yeah. the end of the book. Um, <laughs> writing these scenes, I mean, was that difficult? Did you have to do them, like, a lot? Like go over again. I am, yeah, I am fascinated by human sexuality, by the way we talk about sex, by the way we talk about pleasure. Um, So I'm absolutely fascinated by by that, by by the way we write sex. Um, But there's something. There was something funny because the first sex scenes that I'd ever written were in "It's Been a Pleasure, Noni Blake," and there's absolutely an awkward tension before you before I submitted that manuscript to be like what if I've what what if this is how I find out I've been doing sex <laughs> that wrong would 100% like, be me. You know, what, if, <laughs> what if no one I've had sex with is like no no they've, they've just never told me like there's a anxiety that comes yeah. with with yeah. it like your editor and publisher read it and go, I think go we need to have what, a conversation. what is this like, <laughs> oh my god like no um so there's a definitely an awkward energy but there's also like an awkward knowing as well where you go like i am revealing to people just through the nature of how these characters have sex what i think is sexy or not sexy like that that yeah. that has to be there um the writer christine she talks about or they talk about you know it has to feel sexy to you as a writer it's not going to feel sexy to the reader it's that same quote about writing where you go no tears in the writer no tears in the reader which i loved so i was like okay these need to feel sexy to me i think to begin with but then it became about what would these characters find sexy or not how would these characters have sex and i find that an interesting question or thought um to have particularly as cleo is dating a few people and getting to know a few people 
the conversation that I had with my editor and as I was writing the book was like, how do these two, these, you know, these two or three people in the book have sex differently? What kind of sex do they have? What do they bring out in Cleo in, in that level of intimacy or the conversations that they have after sex? Like that, that, that has to feel different. So making those decisions, um, I find thoroughly enjoyable and fascinating and terribly awkward for my family to read (laughs) it seems like very considered this isn't a book where you just shove sex scenes in all over the place as you just said before um the conversations Mm. that they have or the way that they have sex is going to you want it to move the story forward in a way. You want it to contribute to the story. It's not just yeah. a sex scene for the sake of a sex scene. It's the conversation after. It's what that reveals to Cleo in the moment. And I think that that's that really like it. It wasn't like obvious in terms of reading, being like, oh, this is a story moment. But like now that you say that, it's like, oh yeah, actually. They did all serve in a way to move the story forward. So it's like this is why I wanted to ask this question because it's like as a writer, like. Yeah, how do you keep everything different and, you know, think about all those strategic things while still keeping, like, the magic in the moment? It's very very logistical, too, because you have to... You have to be playing out the scene in your head to be able to write it, but also to write it in a way... So the logistics make sense, I think. So, like, I don't want readers in any moment to be going, like, whose hand? Or like whose yeah. leg is where? So or there's like, a she's sitting where? Yeah. What what How did she get there? That is not the picture that I had in my head. So there's there's that level of like very logistical <laughs> like this yeah. person is here, this person is here, this hand is doing this. So there's a logistical element too. Um and I always laugh that like some days that's my day at work is like is to go, Okay, I'm just gonna watch some Outlander and some normal people and steal a few things that I think are great and then I'm going to work that into <laughs> into a moment that works for my characters as well. And then I laugh to be like, this is my day at work. Like, my day at work this morning was to watch these two sex scenes and write about them in a very logistical, unsexy way with, you know, my unclean teeth still in my pyjamas. Like... <laughs> What is what I is mean, my life? My job isn't that like my job isn't that like um it's not that topic, but there'll certainly be days in the newsroom where I'll have like an in-depth conversation about whether like this one sentence means this one thing and then I'm like, I can't believe that I've just spent half an hour <laughs> or like I've just spent half an hour trying to pick out the perfect photo to represent this in my headline. And it just sometimes I'm just like, wow, I can't believe I get paid to yes. do this. <laughs> Yeah, this I got paid to spend half yeah, an hour thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, and to yeah. like debate in the office whether we use this word or that word, or like at a fifteen-minute conversation with one of my podcast um, producers about like the the ethics of how we'd represented something, and they're like important conversations. But I was just like, wow, like people would be surprised that that's what we spend our time doing. Sometimes it's great. I love it. Yeah. It's so nerdy, and I love it. Yeah, um, absolutely, and. You know, is there with when it comes to like editing those scenes as well? Like, do you find just from a writing perspective, mm-hmm. like maybe just in general, are you more of a, you know, are you doing lots of revision, um, 
or is it does it all sort of come out and then it's just like tweaking little things or is it big changes that you're usually making when you go and do your second draft this um this book was this book was big changes noni blake was mostly just like small tweaks and revisions and then right at the final moment of noni blake i completely changed the ending um before like literally in the final draft like we need to go to publication and i had a a revelation about the ending um being wrong which it's been out for long enough now so i can talk about the ending but in the original ending um the viking oh i don't know i'll just do it it's a spoiler if you haven't read it um but in the original ending um the viking was the one who who led the the final big moment and um came to kind of confess their love for Noni and there was a moment where I was like I have taken all of her agency away which is the antithesis of this book um she needs to go and get what she wants and so it was a final moment where I was like the whole it's her journey she needs to decide what pleasure is for her and she needs to go and um make a loving declaration herself so that whole kind of back end of the book the last three chapters um changed in the in the final moments and that's because with that book I didn't write um I usually don't write sequentially I don't write in order and so the ending of Noni Blake was one of the first things I wrote and it wasn't until then the whole thing was finished I knew exactly what I was kind of saying I was like, that's wrong. Whereas with, yeah, with, with West Side <laughs> Honey, I wrote in order. I wrote sequentially because it was 2020. I lost all of my work. I work in theatre. Um, yeah. And, um, and thanks for my, the teaching work that I do. I work at a university. That still all went. That went online. Um, and so life completely changed. But also what I then did, my best mate lives in Melbourne. They were in four billion hours of lockdown. Beautiful. And so I wrote sequentially and I would write a certain number of words a day, record myself reading those words and then send them to her every day. So that became my 2020 routine of um, writing That's this so book. Cool. Which the original, the original draft of this um, was actually kind of third person narrative, and you saw more of Jude's story as well. It was both of their stories, um, which I essentially got to a point at the end of that draft. Once that first draft was submitted, the first conversation with my editor was pretty much like, "You are tell- there's two novels in here." There's not like, mm. how do we tell both of these stories and have enough of a climax and a reward? Um, so what I realized was, oh, this is actually two novels. You need to, I need to tell Cleo's and Jude's. Does this separately. mean that we're going to get Jude's um, as a separate book? <laughs> maybe, maybe. It's, I mean, there's I like, Jude. there's about, there's about 40,000 words of it oh, already yay, written. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. So, so then it kind of, I mean, first, yeah, we like, know we there's have, a lot of factors yeah. in it. Well, yeah. there's another book. Look, you have at least two really eager cool. readers. Yeah. Though, so, you know, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll tell Tex. I'll be like, we've got, we've sold two. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Is yeah. that so enough? I'll start writing. They'll be like, I'll finish it off. 
Yeah, so then the whole rewrite of West Side Honey, once I decided that what I wanted to do was just tell Cleo's story, was to then put it in first person, um, tell it from her perspective, and then work out what her actual narrative arc was going to be. Um, and so that's when the kind of... There was parts of it in that, that first draft, um, but then it became about the kind of 20 dates that became the narrative structure of this book. Um, yeah, so this one yeah. required big, big rewrites. It, it <laughs> kicked my butt for the last few years. Um, but once I kind yeah. of worked out what it was and who these people were and what I wanted to say, um, yeah, now, now I can't imagine it being any other. Yeah, way. yeah, it's so hard to imagine it being different yeah. because it just works the yeah. way that you've done it. It's Thank brilliant. you. Um, and yeah, I, I also really love at the start that you said that actually it was that friendship that was at the heart of that, because I mean, we always, and we don't Mm. want to focus on it too much in this interview simply because we bring it up all the time, but we love female friendships, but (laughs) usually, usually we talk about the complexities of (laughs) it and like some of the bad shit, but like, I just love that, especially Mm. like how big of a part they're like platonic love is I just love that so much yeah yeah and that's interesting that you say oh I was just gonna say it's interesting that you say that originally the book was kind of about both of them and it was like outside of you know that point of view because there there is a lot of Jude in the book obviously but there's not that much and she feels like such a big part of it still Mm. and I guess because you've done all that work already she really is there and like a huge fixture in Cleo's life and yet like now that I think about it like you know she doesn't spend that much of the book with Jude necessarily because she's dating or she's in the shop or I her kids now or have all so of that many stuff. questions about Jude that I'm like I want to know more. how is she doing <laughs> because I was really worried about her <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I this yeah like especially know, towards the end it. I was like you're working way too hard Jude like Come on. So, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like there's so much <laughs> yeah, there, to ex- especially how she was like, you know, basically feeling that again, it's that it's exploring again motherhood from a different angle of a working mum. Uh, not that Cleo's yeah. not a working mum, yeah. but um, someone who's in a very corporate job who feels like she has to do a lot more than everybody yeah. else. And I, there's so much, you know, yeah. we're just cheering you on here to write that. <laughs> And again, conversations we yeah. don't have, which is, you know, a big conversation where where the 80s ideal of motherhood is you can do everything and then you know we're unraveling unraveling and having conversations with about that now being like ah no we mm. can't we actually can't and let's yeah. unravel also, the actual yes. we don't have yeah. to do exactly yeah. let's unravel yeah. the systems yes. that don't support parents um to do work and parenthood and and patriarchal parental systems um so jude is definitely navigating all of all of that their relationship was the, a non-negotiable for me in their relationship was that the conflict could never come from within their relationship um it had yeah. to feel like them against the conflict and that was like 
from the from day one that was never going to be a story arc or a story point um and they do have conflict but i even wanted to show how they healthily navigate you know a small rupture and repair because i don't think we really show the the depth of of that kind of love of that it's certainly yeah. my experience of of what I have in my best friendships and the, those allyships, the safety and the unconditional love that I experience in those friendships. I very rarely see anywhere in in media. Um, you know, the narrative that we show is, you know, friends are awful to each other. <laughs> And, you know, yeah. the conflict is at the heart and then they come back together. Or, you know, the Thelma and Louise model where they die yeah. in the end. <laughs> like, yeah. their love kills them. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I just want to see a best friend story where your best friend knows you better than you know, than you often know yourself and is the person who is there championing you and telling you that you are amazing, but also telling you, yeah, when like you she literally, like, like Jude literally says to Cleo, "That's not okay. Like, you are being a shit. Like you, this is not okay right now. Yeah, and, yeah. get in the shower <laughs> and yeah. do better. Yeah, like, yeah. And we all yeah. need friends like that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's love. That's what love actually is. Yeah. Um, so I wanted you to wanted you to see that, and I think for a character like Cleo who is just beginning to work out how to really stand on her own two feet and work out what she wants and articulate that. She needed big, confident allies, and she gets that in in Jude. She gets that in Farida. She gets that in her dad. She needed people in her life who are just like, come on, kid, (laughs) like, we love you and we believe in you and you can do this. Um because I think that's often what we do. We need allies in our life like that who are like, no, nah, you can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can. And it's like my yeah. best mate, sometimes she'll be like, no, I knew, I knew you'd, I knew you'd do that. Or I knew you'd be fine. Or I knew you could. And I'd be like, how? <laughs> how did you know before yeah. I did? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love yeah. her and dad as well. I, I think Caitlin, like, I would hope that we do that for each other. I think he definitely do that for me. Sometimes when I'm like, I can't make it through this week. You're like, you can. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I hope that you can. Yeah. I'll be like, you can. Yeah. It's already you just Thursday give me like afternoon. a pep talk. Like, yeah. <laughs> I hope I do the same for you. Um, but we've never had to tell each other that we're being shit. So, you know, hopefully that continues. <laughs> No, not yet. No, I mean, one not day. Yet. We haven't known each other day. as long <laughs> no, as it's true. No. Um, but if, there, if there's anyone that... But now you have If there's anyone to. I could live in the mum in with, yeah. it would be you, I think. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Um, oh, thank you. So oh. we, we, we talked about whether to include this question or not, whether to, you know... We don't do spoilers in our author chats. Um, so this is a little bit vague, this question, but we hope that you'll be able to still answer it without <laughs> giving away things. Um, and okay. I, I, I hope that this isn't a spoiler to say, in a classic romance fashion, Cleo does get a happy ending. So we don't need to worry about the book is not one of those yeah. ambiguous, like, you know, contemporary novels that you end and you're like, oh, like it is a happy ending. So no one needs to worry about that. But um, there is a point where things take a darker turn. 
um, and you dive into some particularly mm. deep feelings, um, especially around grief mm. and like how you should feel when you have grief and when you lose someone. And like I was particularly personally touched by that because um, it's articulated some feelings that I've had. And, you know, I will actually link in the show notes, mm. I'll link the piece I wrote about that if anyone wants to read because like I'd never seen that sort of articulated before. Um why did you want to explore that in such a lovely, uplifting, happy, sex scene filled romance? Because <laughs> you hit me like a sledgehammer. It was I... so intense. Oh, yeah, my like God. literally, like like I texted Caitlin. I was oh, like, whoa, this got dark. Like, oh my God. <laughs> I know. And I, so I'd finished the book before Michelle, and she texted me just like, whoa. And I was like, I don't know what why you're did up you do to. That <laughs> because yeah, yeah, I would have like, I'm sorry for that. Yeah, but which, that's the desired. I mean, it was genius, well. but like even um, genius. <laughs> I think it comes down to again um, honoring that idea of um, authentic wish fulfillment, and so what happens is something that Cleo really wants to happen and then when it actually happens um the truth of it and the the heartache of it um I think it would have been remiss of me to not write the the authenticity of it as well um yeah and so I think I think a lot of people in Cleo's situation will be able to relate to how she feels and that the complicated nature of of the of those feelings and um wanting something for ease's sake but also that being really fucking hard to deal with um yeah that's why (laughs) i but also i'm sorry it's it's a conversation that we don't have is never portrayed in the nuanced way of like I do feel sad, but I don't feel sad. And I, I'm kind of relieved, but also not. And, like, it's so complicated. Yeah. And I think that's why when it happened for me in the way it did, which I'll, I'll link the full piece, but it was about my dad. And, like, because he was elderly, I was like, mm. well, I'm really relieved because he was really ready to go. So it wasn't – and I didn't cry. And then yeah. I felt really guilty because I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Am yes. I a fucking monster? What the hell? Like, why mm. – um, like, what the fuck uh, it's not how it's meant to be you know and we don't we don't talk about grief we don't talk about the, how complicated it is we don't talk because we feel like we're terrible people but it's like no we are complicated messy creatures with complicated messy relationships and all of the yeah. things can be true at once like your relief is just as yes. things at once. Yeah, your well. relief is just as valid as your sadness, and and though those can coexist at the same time, and I don't think we talk about how complicated feelings are either, because it requires vulnerability and it requires authenticity and it requires the fear of saying but this is how it actually feels and then hoping that will be received and because they're conversations we don't have we feel like we're the only one and then we we just feel like we're alone and then 
you know, it turns out that there are a billion people who probably feel exactly the same way as you have when an elderly parent has passed away, but we don't talk about it. So we're just all completely isolated and, uh, you know, I think, I think that's part of why I love writing and why I want to write about the things I want to write about, because I feel like we would just give ourselves <laughs> like way more, like we cut ourselves some slack if we just talked a bit more vulnerably and authentic, authentically about this messy stuff, like grief, like love, like sexuality, like gender, like these are the conversations we should be having because then people would feel less bloody alone. Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. So well said. It's almost oh like God. you've thought about this a lot. Um, and you've written about it a lot. Jump. Like, <laughs> yeah. <thought>? yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I just want to jump straight from, you know, that's why you love writing, mm. and we'll go away from West Side Honey now and into <laughs> just a bit about your writing and publishing journey mm. generally. Um, and as we said in our introduction you won the text prize for your novel beautiful mess so we've interviewed a couple of text prize winners uh we'll be honest but and we adore the text prize it's always so good but so good it's so good so good um so that is the start of your publishing journey then is entering the text prize can you tell us a bit about that so i've been writing I've written since I was little. Like, it's been the thing I've wanted to do since I was... Like, the first novel I have that I wrote is when I one I wrote in Aww. grade two, where I had, like, folded pages and written my own barcode on the back and my own, like, ISBN oh. numbers. Like, they're legit. Oh, my but... gosh. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. And I'd only found them a couple of years ago in a big, like, box of my stuff that my mum had found in the garage. Um... But writing never, like I grew up in a working class, like family, hard, hard working family um, where the arts wasn't a, a thing that was a career option, really. It was like, you know, my yeah. parents understood being mm. a teacher, which is what I ended up doing and what I first started doing was being a teacher. That made sense to them. That was secure. Job. Um, yeah, and I didn't, a job. Yeah. it's a job, you need a solid job. And so I didn't know any artists. I didn't hang out with anyone who was making theater, which is, was my like first love and passion as well, or any writers. It just never crossed my mind that it would be a thing that I could do as a, as a job. And then when I was at uni, I had a couple of lecturers and teachers who, I'd written scenes for projects that we'd done and I'd had a couple of teachers go, oh, this is something you can do. Like, you you could write theatre. Um, and the I, I, talking about things we don't talk about, I don't think we talk about, like, how incredible those moments can be in your life where someone else sees something that you can do and affirms that and sees you in a way that you don't. Um, and then so I did a teaching degree and went was a high school drama English teacher and then I ended up writing a play for some students that I wanted um to do them to do we did that at school entered that into a competition that play won and it's where I then met my good friend David Burden also a text yes, prize winner. I really, but he had done theatre at uni how to be happy on <laughs> love it it's a great book yeah he's amazing 
It's a beautiful book. So I met him and he had done a theatre degree. He'd written all of these plays. He's like three or four years younger than me. And he'd lived this whole other version of what very well could have been my life. And so then I went down into that path. I was making theatre. I was working in theatre. All of this became possible. I started working for theatre companies in their theatre and education departments um, and really decided, like, okay, well, I'm a playwright and I'm a youth arts producer and that's what I do. And had always still and in the back of my head. And it's you? a job, exactly. And my parents are like, what do you do? What do you do? It's kind of teaching. Um, and then, but the back of my, the secret, secret true desire was that I wanted to write novels. Um but it took kind of starting this idea that I thought would be a play and then kind of maybe getting 5,000 words into it and going like, oh, I don't think this is a play. I think this is a novel. Holy shit. Am I going to do it? <laughs> what do I do? Um, yeah. So I gave, I gave it to my friend David and was like, what am I doing? I think I'm writing a novel. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, dickhead, you are writing a novel. Like, just keep going. <laughs> Um, so I used the text prize um, deadline as my deadline yep. to finish the first manuscript of Beautiful Mess. So that's what I did. Not actually really clocking on that it was a competition. Like, like of course I knew on one <laughs> level, but in my head it was like, finish the manuscript, write the novel, finish the manuscript, write the novel. That was the goal. And so I had already achieved the goal. I was already like, and hooray. Um, so know, then... Because, I mean, you were never going to be shortlisted. You were never going to no. be how ridiculous. Exactly. What, like, no, the whole thing was to write it. So then when I got the call to say, you've been shortlisted, I was like, that was not the plan. <laughs> what the fuck? What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, and then, like, a few days later, getting the call to say, you know, you, you've won, um, then going like, oh, right, okay, holy shit. Um, so then that opened up a whole other world of learning, um, learning about publishing, learning about the brilliant Australian young adult community, um, learning about bookstagram, learning about book podcast, like learning about this whole beautiful other world so yeah, my my step into publishing, I always say, is is abnormal <laughs> and not and and not um, yeah, it's certainly unique to me and my my story. But but in then unraveling all of that, what I've kind of come to in the last few years, because you know I keep trying to box myself in, or I keep trying to label myself to go like, well, I'm a playwright, and then once I'd written Beautiful Mess, it was like, okay, well, I write young adult fiction. That's what I'm going to do. And then when the next idea that I had for a novel was Noni Blake, it was like, oh, but that's romance. Like that's got sexy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like, oh, what am I meant to do? Am I crazy? Um, so even sub submitting that to my editor again, I didn't think that they would go for it. I thought, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll be like, hey, I wrote this rom-com, <laughs> you know? And then them going, okay, yeah, no, we want to publish this. In fact, we want to publish, um, let's, let's publish a couple of them. Um, so I feel very grateful. I feel very fortuitous. I feel very unique in the the ease in which I have kind of, I know that is not the case for a lot of 
writers. Um, but I wonder if that's because like part of it as well is I've, I got all of the like rejection slogging years of the chaos of, um, I paid my dues in the theater sector and I'm still paying my dues in the theater sector. Um, so I wondered (laughs) if I kind of like 10 years in the theater industry before I wrote, wrote a novel is kind of where I, I, I learnt how to write, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but my my path has would not been in it. Yeah, I would, absolutely. I've been waiting. Um, there was one idea that I kind of had written a chunk of in the, like, pre-pandemic and then the pandemic happened, my life exploded, and then that idea just kind of got put in the bottom shelf on the bottom drawer but I think I will yeah. come back um to YA once there is a idea or a character that feels right and YA moves so quickly in terms of I think this like the world moves so quickly so the commentary that like I wanted to make back in 20 you know 19 about social media and about um you know it's evolved it's it's evolved too much so that idea is actually Mm. dead now like it doesn't it doesn't fit the world anymore um so yeah but I definitely would write YA again for sure I think I might write slightly older what's the there's a there is a new term for it but that new adult um kind of 18 19 yeah. i just sort of call it like mature is kind of what I'm, like yeah. what need that world that nina yeah Kenwood. nina can yeah we love nina yeah. Kenwood. yeah yeah i'm not yeah, yeah. like me i know we love nina Kenwood. yeah yeah i don't know if new like i don't know some people say new adult some people don't i don't know if we had an in-depth discussion really but yeah we just mm. generally call that older way older way that's exactly it i always think yeah like nina Kenwood, um like vicky wakefield yeah Lona, yeah, is it yeah, yeah, all that Lona. stuff. That's yes, like, that was fantastic. Um, yeah, or like yes. Sarah Ayub. We had a great discussion of, with her about her last way book because, it, yeah. like, it was a wedding, and yeah. it was like that yeah. doesn't happen. Anything, in I think, anything at that upper end of like they're finishing school. Oh, take her social cue. They're like first yes. year out of school. Like, yeah, yes. yeah. There's some great books. Oh, all the recommendations yeah. there. We love all of those books. We absolutely adore all of those. Yeah. <laughs> And text will love it because yeah, there's so there's many so textbooks text in there. So. <laughs> yeah, they are. A lot. I just realised we were. <laughs> you can tell where I get sent books from. They're there. the ones yeah. I read. Yeah. Well, let's also do a plug for Alice Oseman. Loveless is like first year of university. Yeah, good. As well. Okay, get yeah. a few. Share and the love. I'm also looking at my bookshelf and um, Tobias Madden's books as well. And we love Tobias on the podcast, so we'll always recommend. Yeah, him, so. good. Yeah, but I'm just like looking at my bookshelf now, and that's what I can. <laughs> That's what I can see. <laughs> I love that. Oh, That's what you can see. Um, so, yeah, I think I will one day write YA. And now where I've landed as well, like, to come full circle and all of that, is, like, what is the through line and what I love mm. is stories and telling stories. And so now mm. I'm, like, whether that is a play, whether that is a YA, whether that is contemporary fiction, contemporary romance, whether that is a lengthy Instagram post, like, whatever the form is, I'm just going to trust the form and I'm not going to put myself into boxes anymore and just go, what is at the heart of it is telling stories and seeing what choices characters make and who I can make, make out with each other. (laughs) I love that too, because actually that's the conclusion that I personally have come to because I had like a similar moment where like, 
you know, I worked as a journalist for five years and I was like, this is what I do. Mm. And then when we moved overseas the first time um, and I took a break from that and like started a business, I was like, I don't know, do I call myself that anymore? I'm not working as that. And I had this whole identity crisis. Mm. But what I've come to learn is whether it's, for Mm -hmm. me, it's like all nonfiction. So whether it's working as a journalist and writing digital stories, telling stories through like long form audio documentaries, Mm. even doing things like this Or if it's like in my marketing and copywriting, it's like telling the stories of business owners on their website. It's still, it's the same thing. It's like, it's just the form. And when I think of like, I've always felt a bit guilty, like loving TV as much as I do. And then I realized again, it's like, it's stories. Mm. Like I watch as much TV as I do because I fucking love Mm. stories and I love drama and I love seeing that unfold. Yeah, And I love that just like, that's just as worthy as reading. And I think it was just like, I always felt a bit guilty because I was like, but I love watching TV. <laughs> but that's, it's it's stories. It's mm. stories and that's like the through line of everything. Um, just before you go, I am interested though, like again, mm. we talked a lot at the start about like subverting romance tropes and I didn't get to ask you before we kind of moved off this. So just to jump back to West Side Honey just briefly. Yeah. Um, writing about like a single parent and someone with young kids Mm. And, you know, actually giving them, like, a really fun sex life, letting them have pleasure and stuff. I just wanted to – I don't even have a real question for that. But, like, yeah, yeah I just – just a compliment, <laughs> just really. A compliment. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, especially, like, your friends who have kids and who are single parents, how do they feel yeah. about that? Like, it must be so nice for them because I can't imagine – not that I've ever, you know, done the research and sought out single parent – rom-coms mm-hmm. but it tends to be more you know um yeah. childless yeah you know, i guess for lack of a better word and younger younger younger, younger yes, childish well, yes, we have we child, didn't mention childish. that cleo oh, is in her 30s childless. like yeah. yeah 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 we don't write about um yeah we don't write about older women we don't write about yeah child women with children yeah i think it yeah it was i hope and thankfully, I've had the feedback already um, from some of the my friends who I've sent it to or they've who have read it, who are parents and who are single parents, um, who just feel seen. And that's all I would ever really want from the book is so that they go, oh, God, that is what it feels like or that's how that feels. Um, yeah, I just I think I think it's those conversations that we don't have. So if if single parents of single mums can read this book and go like, okay, maybe I can go on some hot <laughs> <Yeah>. dates. <laughs> then yeah. good. Then good. Like, yeah. I, and I don't think especially like single parents, we don't give them enough credit for how bloody mm. hard they, like it is hard work and we should be celebrating parenting full stop is hard work even if you are in a committed like mutually respectful equal labored relationship it is hard um but when you are doing that on your own or you are doing that with someone who doesn't have the same boundaries or respects the way that you do that i just i i had no idea until i've had to witness the the people in my life navigate that and I just think holy shit you are legends incredible yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. wonderful that's a nice note to end on um 
Thank you so <laughs> yeah. much for joining us um, and having such a wonderful chat about Cleo and Jude and everyone in Westside, honey. Where can people find and follow you online? You can follow me on Instagram, which is at Claire and Pearl. Um, and I also have a, a Substack newsletter called Perla, um, which is clairechristian.substack.com, which you can read my thoughts on everything on a, on a Monday, um, often sometimes a Tuesday, depending on how chaotic my Monday is. We love that. Is. And we will um, yeah. we have a Substack <laughs> as well, so we will link in our Substack when we promote the episode. People can go and check out Amazing. that. Um, yeah. Thank you again. It's just been such a pleasure. Thank you, my loves. Thanks for such a good, it's been a pleasure. Juicy <laughs> questions. It has been a pleasure. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Thank you, my loves. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review. Mm-hmm.